Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Just like that, the final hour is here. Chad, some say we would never make it this far. Many final said hour that. on this Wednesday. Many doubted us. We're glad you're with us. We've had a fun show. We've got Clay Travis who will join us in about 20 minutes from now. Looking forward to that. We'll get some football discussion coming straight uh, from Bobby Carpenter in a matter of minutes. Chad gave uh, betting advice earlier. Outkick bets. Outkick.com slash bet is where you can go and you can follow us. Load up on... The Crimson Tide. Alabama money line. They are a two and a half to three and a half point underdog based on what book you visit in Knoxville tonight. Tennessee probably without, definitely without one starter, probably without two. And those two starters are the best two guys to defend Brandon Miller, who may be the best player in the country for Alabama. Load up on the Tide tonight. Trust me. I was asked uh, right before we came back for break, hey, is Bobby good? And I said, he's Mr. Dependable for the show. He's always good. He always makes time for this show, and for that we're very grateful. Bobby Carpenter joins us, SiriusXM analyst and host for college football and Channel 84. Bobby, good to see you, man. Hey, it's great to see you guys. I appreciate you kind of sliding me around here. You know, spring starting, so we got spring workouts, and whether that's college guys, you know, NFL dudes, or whether that's, you know, my – a junior high son, they've got some workouts going on, trying to make sure I can help out and get those guys lifting some weights. So appreciate you guys uh, being considerate there for me. And as I kind of settle back in from getting back from Hawaii this week. Oh, no, no. See, that's the little jab at the end. That's the, I like that nugget at the end. I've got all this stuff going on, what and time, I've got to resettle myself after Hawaii. What time did the the Super Bowl kick off in Hawaii? So about 1.30, and I don't know how they do it out there. It was a great uh, deal I was a part of. Is arm an Armed Forces Entertainment Tour. It was uh, myself, Darren McFadden, Dexter McCluster, uh, Brian McKinney, Brandon Carr, and Bernard Berrien, and went out there to Hawaii, entertain, entertain the tro- troops on Wheeler and Showfield and Pearl Harbor and all the different bases, uh, put on some youth camps. And then on Sunday, we started watching the Super Bowl, and – our van was a little late for picking us up at noon, and we were worried we were going to miss the start of it. It's about 45 to 50 minutes, and the Super Bowl, I think, kicked off around 125 out there. So okay. definitely early, early enough for me to get a red eye on the way back. <laughs> what, what did you uh, – I mean, we'll, we'll ask Super Bowl questions here. What, what did you make of the performance by Patrick Mahomes post getting hit on the ankle where you could see he was grimacing from that point forward? Yeah, you know, when I looked at that game, for them to win, Kansas City, I'm like, their three dudes have got to be elite. Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Chris Jones have to be absolutely dominant. And then they're going to need a little luck. And Pat Mahomes, when he hurt his ankle, I'm like, because at the beginning, he looked good. He's moving around. You felt good about everything. But when he hurt his ankle, I'm like, man, if he can't move in the second half, that Eagles rush might take over. They're already down 10. You know, they, they had the... The catch that wasn't a catch by De- by Devonta Smith there at the end of the first half uh, kind of helped him out a little bit. 
Uh, and then Jalen Hurts gave him a little bit of manna from heaven. And then Ladarius Tony has the return. So they they needed it all to go right. And I know everybody's you know loving on Pat Mahomes because his performance was epic. Philadelphia is a better football team. They have a better roster and they played a better game outside of the special teams mishap on the punt return, outside of uh outside of Jalen Hurts giving the ball up and having the, the scoop and score. And then the fact that they couldn't ever stop him in the red zone. My goodness, guys, yeah. they kept playing man. I'm like, what are we doing? Why, why, why make him get it done in zone? And you read is smart. You've got to change it up on him. And Pat Mahomes can find the open guy, you know, but his performance was terrific. And at halftime, I guarantee you guys, he went in there, whether it's Tordal, Lidocaine, Novocaine, whatever it is, like it's the Super Bowl, man, at that point. Like, and you're tasked with potentially winning your second, second Super Bowl MVP. And that's rarefied air right now. And so Pat Mahomes put on a performance for the ages, and he ought to, he absolutely had to for his team to win. And, and, you mentioned Philly. I mean, Philly wins that game, Bobby, if we don't have the 30-minute-plus halftime because Andy Reid and company, they were able to actually make adjustments. The NFL halftime's at 12 minutes. You can't really do all that much in 12 minutes. But at a Super Bowl halftime, there's plenty of time to adjust what you're doing, and, and, and it worked. They came out and scored on every possession they had. Well, part of it, too, I think it gave Pat Mahomes a little bit of time to probably get some treatment, yeah. look yeah. at that ankle a little bit more. Relax. I mean, he had, they said from the time he went out to the time he came back on the field, you're talking about almost, I think, close to an hour. Uh, so he had a lot of time, obviously, the elongated halftime. And guys, this is why experience matters. And I'll never put guys in just the not able to get it done, the loser category. Remember how long we had Andy Reid in that couldn't get it done category where he'd get the Eagles to the NFC Championship, couldn't bust the door in. Then they get there against the Patriots. And then they lose in just another phenomenal uh, game. Or like Andy Reid, you know, he's, he's not a big game coach. That's what, that's what we just gave him, that title. Not a big game coach. Well, you know what? He took an inferior squad and won against a better unit who played a pretty darn good game outside of those two big mishaps because he was more experienced. He saw what they were doing. He was more composed. And not that Nick Sirianni coached a bad game. But that's what a guy who's in his mid-60s who eats a lot of cheeseburgers and yeah. coached a heck of a lot of football games – that's what you get when you get that type of experience. See the best head coach in the league currently, right now, as of today, Andy Reid. He, he's up there. I mean, Bill Belichick still, you know, he's still got you know that mantle to me just with everything that he's done. Um, you know, Sean Payton getting back in muddies it a little bit, but I don't know if you could definitively say that there's anyone you would take over Andy Reid, especially when you let him build his teams. Because if you look at his teams, man, he has a formula. And you go look at what he did in Philadelphia, and then you look at what he's built in Kansas City, and he's done it really in the same way. And he's done it with the same type of parts, the same type of pieces. Heck, you know, Spagnola, I mean, I know he was in New York, but he was there with uh, Jimmy Johnson when he was the defensive coordinator in Philadelphia. They're running the same stinking defense. Like, <laughs> it's really just Philly 2.0 with a new set of cast and characters. Bobby Carpenter, our guest. Um Throughout your career, is it is it weird? Is it uh, when you look at the new Hall of Famers that are announced, Pro Football Hall of Fame, is it odd seeing names that you played with or played against in some ways throughout your career? Uh, uh, for instance, uh, and Davey helped us out here: Rondé Barber, Darrell Revis, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Ware, Joe Thomas. At some point, your career overlapped their career, and now they're headed to Canton. 
I played in a game against every one of those guys. So, uh, or with, played with DeMarcus in Dallas uh, for four seasons and fortunate enough to play with Zach Thomas in Dallas for what was his final, really final year. And DeMarcus, I knew was going to be a first ballot guy. I mean, I would, it was funny. I would always, guys who I played with, but I thought were going to be Hall of Famers. And you kind of get that sense, especially if they were older. But when they were young, you know, it's kind of betting on futures. And I'm not a big memorabilia guy, um, but I've got P.O., I've got Witten, I've got Romo, I've got DeMarcus jerseys, I've got a Calvin Johnson and Matt Stafford, um, I've got a Tom Brady, and I got my man Zach Thomas. And it was especially special for me to see Zach get in. Because if you look at Zach's career, it's about the same as Brian Urlacher's with numbers and everything he's put up. My qualifications for pro to be a Hall of Famer, you've had to be a dominant player at your position for a generation. And Zach Thomas was a five-time first-team All-Pro and a two-time second-team All-Pro. When you're talking about guys like Urlacher and Ray Lewis and all these great middle linebackers, and he was able to garner those honors. And he was such so influential in my career. He's my third season. And, you know, he's a guy who had a poster on the wall in high school. <laughs> I used to tell him that. And he laughed. He said, man, you made me feel old. I'm like, Zach, dude, you came out in 96. Like, I was still in middle school. Um, but he he was such so patient. He was such a great teacher. And you look at him, and he, he used to joke. He's like, man, if I would have been blessed with your skills, I'd been way better. You know, he's like, I'm five foot nine, maybe 10, and run a four seven. But he was so instinctual. He was such a good player, such a great leader. And I, I'm so happy for him to get in because I think he personifies what you'll love about football. The undersized guy who, you know what, gets in, not a first-round pick, slides in the middle rounds, gets a chance, and then all of a sudden his desire to study the game, to always be his best, that begins to shine through. And, you know, he was kind of on some Miami teams that in between Marino and, you know, whenever, like they were kind of in purgatory where they had great defenses and not much on offense. And Zach was the – he was the linchpin. He was the keystone of all those. And if he would have been in Chicago or New York or Dallas, I think it would have been like, boom, he's automatically in, uh, like Erlacher. But he never really had that postseason run, and he never really probably had as much limelight as he should because he's not a vocal guy. He does it behind the scenes. And honestly, he, he he called me that morning, and I was in Hawaii, and I was uh, so pumped, so pumped for him because uh, he deserves to be there, and I can't wait to uh, be a part of it for him. Well, I – I hope you don't mind me asking, what did he do for you in year three specifically that you're pointing to that makes you emotional now? Uh, just, you know, get first of all, getting a chance to know him. Like, I mean, he's in his 13th year and he wore number 54 in Miami. And they're like, man, Zach's coming. He's going to want that number. I'm like, you know what? If he really wants it, like I wouldn't sell it to him, but we'd have a conversation and I, I would have been fine with that. And he told me, he goes, no, man, that's yours. It's a new look. It's, it's a new me coming here. It's a new team. I got it. And so like that right away was great. Um, we used to go to dinner a lot on Monday nights and you know, just talk about life and everything and his experiences in Miami and just, you know, the process of evolving as a man throughout the game. And and then also in the off season, I'll never forget, like, you know, and this is the older guys, they don't have to do this. And people get upset, like, you know, they don't want to mentor. It's not your job. You're not getting paid to come in here and mentor guys. You're getting paid to play. But you know what? If you want to do it, go for it. And Zach Thomas, we sit there and watch film and he'd show me what he watched and taught me how to watch film. Like 
I thought, you know, I'm a coach's son. I grew up around the game. He started giving me little nuggets to look for and how to get all this stuff done. And he, his big thing was, man, they're like, be really good at one thing. And he's like, here's some stuff that you're good at. He's like, that I think you could really excel. He's like, just go try to be the best at that. He goes, it's better to be a specialist and be elite at something than to be kind of average. And, you know, people, oh, everyone's second choice. Go be their first choice of something. And so work at that every day. And I took that advice to heart. And you know, even after he got done, he sent me texts after games and stuff of what he saw me doing. And it was just, it was awesome. It was awesome. And I got, I felt like he was a, a friend, a coach, and, and like I said, a, a guy who I, I idolized and aspired to be when I was younger. Very cool. Uh, Bobby Carpenter, our guest on Outkick 360. Bobby, when you look at Derek Carr, and now that he's a free agent and he's already visited or talked with the Saints, if you want to stick it to the Raiders and you want to go somewhere and have success and win and win big, what is the best landing spot for Derek Carr right now at this point in his career to go and do that? I don't know if they can get rid of Mr. Unlimited, but if you could stay in division and go play for Sean Payton in Denver, that that might be the ultimate ultimate yeah. one right there. I mean, if I was Derek Carr, I've got a chance to meet Derek a couple times. And he, I mean, I'm telling you guys, he's him and his brother are as good as humans as they come. Like God doesn't make him much better than that. And I mean, if I was him, Give me a one-year league minimum. We'll figure out a way to work this thing on the cap. I want to go in there and compete with Russ. And I'm guessing Sean Payton would probably like that and probably <laughs> welcome it because, you know, Derek does a lot of things really well. They've got great weapons. And he would be a guy that, you know, is playing, obviously, in division. That's obviously kind of a long shot. I would say New Orleans, possibly the Jets. You know, if you can stay on the AFC side because he's more familiar with that, given the fact he's rotated through, you know, that division, that conference a little more. The Jets have a really nice roster around him, you know, and, uh, you know, that th you'd have to think there's a little bit of familiarity there uh, with their head coach, obviously being out in the Bay before the Raiders move. So that I, I would try to stay in the AFC. The Jets would probably make the most sense. But I, I don't dislike the Saints either because I think they have a pretty good roster. They just need a trigger man. And I'm telling you guys, Derek Carr is a good quarterback. I mean, is he Patrick Mahomes? Probably not. But he's a guy that with a good roster around him, I think he can take you to and win the Super Bowl. He's just never had any defense in the Raiders organization, as we well know. It's been an absolute mess for really the last decade. Yeah, and I think the best way to stick it to him, Chad's a good question. It's a great answer, by the way, with Denver and the one-year deal. The best way to stick it to the Raiders is to choose a team where you can win. So I would avoid Carolina, uh, Houston. I think the Saints could be a good, decent option with the teams and that he's talking just to. Tie, just tying in other factors like Tampa replacing Brady. Again, just follow me here. That's where Gruden was traded to. He wins a Super Bowl. Uh, you could take... Car there. I'm not saying they win the Super Bowl, but you get my point. Like you could stick it to the Raiders that way too. There's not many other great options uh, that are quarterback needy that aren't bad. If you uh, based yeah. on based on the quarterbacks that are currently in place, who they, you know, would be a lateral move, so to speak, to go get Derek Carr. The three teams you mentioned: the Jets, the Bucks, yeah. and I think the Saints are all teams that have pretty good rosters that have had subpar quarterback play. Derek Carr is going to give you. Above average, probably good. So, like, I don't want to say great, but he's right there in that fringe and can probably be a 6 to 10, 12 quarterback in the league. And if you have good talent around it, 
you're going to win games if you have competent coaching. Who would be the better option to win with the Titans, Ryan Tannehill or Derek Carr? Ooh, that's that's a good one right there. I I think Tannehill's done a great job in his resurgence with the Titans. I think that he's a little sporadic still, and you you see occasionally him make a poor decision. You'll see a ball fly, and then he gets gun shy. You know, and he won't throw it in. Like Derek Carr's been a really a bad situation his entire career, and has found a way to. I mean, never never uh, pushes blame off. Always shoulders it, and he just goes out there and continues to play. I I, I would say that it, it's not going to be a Herculean upgrade. But I would think Derek Carr would be an upgrade over over Ryan Tannehill. By a notch, you're saying, just just barely. Yeah. Bobby, great visit, man. Appreciate uh, the, the always being uh, right on time with the show. And, uh, man, we should get uh, Zach on the show here with you at some point. Oh, that, that would be great. Now, Zach's not a big talker. He tried to do some media stuff in Miami. Uh, but we could maybe pull some stories out of him because uh, he's, he's got a lot. We had him on one time. He was excellent. Uh, this was a couple years back whenever he was a finalist. But he was, I mean, it was really, really good going through his career and, and how he made it to the league and all that. So I'd love that, man. And uh, again, uh, get back to coaching. Good luck with all the workouts. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right, man. There's Thanks, Bobby, Bobby Carpenter. Uh, check him out on Sirius XM Channel 84. A little bit of breaking news that we'll definitely ask our next guest, Clay Travis, about uh, the domestic violence charge against Texas basketball coach, former Texas basketball coach Chris Beard, has been officially dropped. DA Jose Garza has announced. Prediction, he will be back coaching at a decent job next season. And what, what's to come of the contract that Texas is pointing be, to in the language? Could be Notre Dame, could yeah. be any number of places, and whoever hires him is going to trip all over themselves to explain why they did and why there's really nothing to see here and it was a mistake and a bad night, but things were you know misportrayed in the, in the story and all of this. Chris Beard is too good of a coach to not be right back in it now that he's now officially not getting charged with a crime. Clay's stories from the Super Bowl – Eric Bieniemy being in the headlines for not being hired, Chris Beard having uh, the charges officially dropped, and more. Clay Travis with us next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Clay Travis joins us on Outkick 360 as we welcome you back. Sixth and Peabody Air location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, Chad, Clay does the blood bank lock, the guarantee. Yeah. You've got one today. I've got one. Alabama money line over Tennessee. Tennessee without two starters. I don't care that it's in Knoxville. I have no idea, Clay, how Tennessee's a two-and-a-half-point favorite after losing on back-to-back buzzer beaters to Vandy and Missouri this past week. Vegas may be expecting some craziness uh, to happen tonight, but that, that's, my, that's my blood bank guarantee tonight. What do you think about that bet? The line would make me nervous um, because, uh, look, uh, and this is just kind of talking broadly. Yeah. 
fans tend to be hyper irrational. Uh, that is, um, you know, in a 40 minute game, all sorts of craziness can happen. Um, and I think the last two games, if you look at Tennessee's loss against Vanderbilt on a last second three after missing the front end of a one and one, that was a statistical improbability. And then if you look at Missouri doing the exact same thing, uh, hitting a three at the buzzer after a missed front end of a one and one free throw, by the way, by the same guy, I'm not sure that's ever happened in the history of college basketball. An right? 80% I mean, career free throw shooter also was the guy who missed all three of those free throws ultimately. So my point on that is if, uh, what would the expectation be if Tennessee had won both of those games? Um, you know, that, that means one shot had gone different. Uh, I think there would be a lot of optimism in Knoxville about beating Alabama. And so what Vegas does is try to be completely unobjective and just trust the numbers. And look, I mean, Alabama went on the road, what was it, like two or three weeks ago and lost by, I think, 25 at Oklahoma. Uh, I expect for uh, for it to be an absolutely raucous environment in uh, in Thompson Bowling tonight. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching the second half. I have to take my son to baseball practice for the first half, uh, but uh, but I expect that Tennessee will, will, will give Alabama a good run. And I also think, you know, from a probabilistic perspective, it's unlikely that Alabama is going to go undefeated throughout the course of the SEC. Uh, so I would be nervous about touching that number because I don't have the uh, the gambling uh, splits in front of me. I'd actually be curious to know what they are. Uh, but I would bet that 85 90% of the money is on Alabama to cover as the underdog. And uh, that means that Vegas knows, you know, when you make Tennessee a favorite in that scenario, that a lot of the money is going to come in on Bama. Uh, so I would be very nervous about touching it. Clay, um, you were there for the Super Bowl. What was it like watching Rihanna at the halftime show in the building? Can you really tell what's going on when you're watching it? Uh, I think football in general is a televised product. So, and I think that's particularly the case for a halftime concert in the uh, in the Super Bowl. Uh, by which I mean, it's not really designed for the seventy thousand people who are there in person. It's designed for, I think it ended up being 118 million uh, who were watching live at halftime for the Rihanna performance, which I believe was the peak of the overall Super Bowl viewership over the course of the entire, you know, three and a half or four hour window. Um, And so it was cool. It was really interesting to see how much they had to do to put that stage together and how many different moving parts were associated with it. Uh, and I think you had a, you know, maybe a better uh, comprehension of how high uh, she was into the crowd, you know, in the air on those stages and her dancers and everybody else. Uh, but, uh, but, but I thought in general, um, you know, ever I've been to two Super Bowls in person. I think uh, Bruno Mars may have performed uh, alongside of the Red Hot Chili Peppers for the other one. I went to the New York City Super Bowl, and this was the second time that I had been to a uh, Super Bowl. Uh, in person to watch, and uh, and and both times I thought uh, the production value of the performance was way in uh, excess 
for the television viewers, which makes sense because, you know, what is the 70,000 in attendance? Like, uh, you know, roughly a thousand or, or less of the overall audience that's watching that uh, live. So I think that makes a decent amount of sense. Totally agree with you, too. The two I've seen, Maroon 5 and then Shakira and J-Lo. That's the Shakira and J-Lo I was begging to get, a, get around a TV. Uh, but it's just a big light show. Uh, you can't really see or hear much of anything because of the TV production. Clay Travis with us uh, from OutKick, OutKick's uh, president and founder. Clay, Eric Bieniemy didn't get hired yet again as a head coach. And CNN, Jake Tapper, uh, Bob Costas, others, Ryan Clark, want everyone to believe it's because of the color of his skin. Um, it would take a lot of effort on behalf of the league to not hire Eric Bieniemy with all the other minority head coaches who have been hired over the time he has interviewed in 14 or 15 different places. He must not interview well. Uh, and, and again, I think if he wants to be a head coach, he probably needs to leave Kansas City because most people are going to say that is Andy Reid's offense. Um, I would think it's the combination of both those things. My, my argument in general, and this is nothing new, I've been making this argument for, for years now, the NFL is the ultimate meritocracy, um, and by which I mean uh, if you perform, they will hire you almost no matter what. Ray Lewis was charged with double murder literally went on trial for double murder and they have a statue to him outside of the Baltimore Ravens stadium. And he is still employed on a regular basis as a commentator on the NFL. Deshaun Watson has been accused by 30 different women of sexual assault civilly. And he just got the largest contract in the history of football. Um, those are just a couple of examples. Uh, I, I've said before, if OJ Simpson uh, were a quarterback and he beat double murder charges in today's NFL, I think maybe a team would sign him, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And that's because they, Al Davis was right. The NFL's mantra is just a win, baby. So if people thought that Eric Bieniemy was an incredible asset that would win at a high level, then I think he would have already been hired. Um, I think the challenge that is out there in general, and look, I, I put it this way, the quarterback matters far more than the head coach does anywhere. Okay, let's start with that. Um, I think that if you look, you trade away Tyreek Hill. It's supposed to be a rebuilding year, and Patrick Mahomes is so good that he goes to his fifth straight AFC championship and also then wins his second Super Bowl. I think there's a lot of people out there. Remember we used to have the debate, who's more responsible for the Patriot dynasty, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? It's no longer a debate. Without Tom Brady, Bill Belichick looks like a very average NFL head coach. Tom Brady went and won a Super Bowl with Bruce Arians, uh, and, uh, and now everybody, I think, acknowledges it's Brady. Uh, so I think the challenge that Eric Bieniemy has is twofold. One, Andy Reid top five NFL head coach Two, Patrick Mahomes, clearly the best coach in uh, the best quarterback. I think at the NFL right now, if both of those things are true and Eric, the is not the primary decision maker on the offense for the Kansas city chiefs. Then a lot of people are saying, okay, without Andy Reid and without Patrick Mahomes, what does Eric B bring to the table? 
And right now, it's not just one team. It's lots of teams that have had an opening. They are saying, I think the answer is not very much. So if I'm Eric Bieniemy at this point, uh, I'm wondering, do I need to go somewhere else where I'm going to have the opportunity to prove myself uh, in order to get that uh, to get that elusive head coaching uh, opportunity in this uh, in this league? Clay, uh, but I don't think, by the way, it's a, a race based. Right. Uh, I, I don't think it's a race based decision. Right. Uh, Strahan interviewed Demar Hamlin on Good Morning America. And asked him directly, 24 years old, perfectly healthy, no background of a heart condition. He confirmed that based on the, the tests and the medicals and the physicals that he had gone through. Um, asked Demar Hamlin what doctors told him was the cause for the cardiac arrest that he suffered on January 2nd. And he paused. He said, um, and he paused. And he, then he says, I don't want to get into that. What does that open the door for? for speculation, for discussion, and now for the NFL, which, of course, had the COVID vaccination mandatory shots and really put everyone uh, in the line of fire if they didn't do it for their teammates. Aaron Rodgers comes to mind, for instance. Yeah, well, one, I think the first thing is the NFL needs to know what allegedly called caused DeMar Hamlin's heart condition uh, because they need to do whatever they can to try to hope that that never happens again. Right. So it's almost like when a plane goes down, you go get the black box and you try to figure out what caused the plane to go down. Not because you can necessarily save or change what happened to the individuals on that plane, but because you want to make sure that there isn't something that is occurring that is making that likely to happen again. So in other words, you want to deconstruct what happened to DeMar Hamlin to try to hopefully keep it from happening to any other player. So that's number one. That's what I've said from the get-go. Uh, I hope that that is being done. Uh, number two, I, I, when DeMar Hamlin doesn't answer it, it raises a couple of questions in my mind. One, he may not believe what the doctors are telling him. Uh, two, they may not know. Three, he may be filing a lawsuit down the line and not want to give away some of those indications. But what I would say is this. We know that heart attacks that have killed people are up 30% among 25 to 44-year-olds. It used to be very rare that a 25 to 44-year-old, particularly an athlete, would have a heart-related condition that would lead to potential death. We know that nationwide, 30% increase in heart attacks has occurred between people aged 25 to 44. I want to know why that is. Um, and so if DeMar Hamlin could be involved as a part of that test group, um, I think that's very important information that we should have. My hypothesis would be, hey, what has changed in the past couple of years? We've had an increase in, uh, in, uh, in this death that we know is 30%. The job of science is to try to figure out what might have happened. Maybe it's that so many people got COVID and their hearts were weakened, and that has led to an increase in overall heart attack deaths. That's a theory. That's a possibility. Uh, another one would be that the hundreds of millions of people in the United States who got the COVID shot, many of them 25 to 44, 
uh, have as a result had a weakened heart that has made them more susceptible to heart attack than they were before. That's another hypothesis. I think that should be tested. I'm 43. I never got the COVID shot. I know that I've had COVID at least twice. Uh, am I at an elevated risk for heart attack because of multiple COVID infections? I'd be interested in knowing. Uh, am uh, Is someone out there who got two COVID shots and two boosters and is 26 years old, are they at an elevated risk of getting having a heart attack because of that? That's something that I would want to know. To me, that's something that every American should want to know. I totally agree. Well said. Clay Travis on with us on Outkick 360. Clay, another story broke just before you came on. Chris Beard at Texas. Officially, the DA says no charges. All charges dropped against him. You talked about meritocracy of sports. If you're really good at something, people will give you a second chance and give you a job again. What's the likelihood he's back as a head coach next season now that the charges were officially dropped? I don't know, uh, because I think partly, you know, you're going to have to do your own investigation um, as to why the charges were dropped. Because remember, again, just being fair, um, beyond a reasonable doubt is a high standard. There probably are not witnesses in this case other than him and his, uh, I think, fiance, girlfriend, uh, who was alleging domestic assault. Uh, why were those charges dropped? Has there been new evidence that emerged? Or, as is often the case, has she just refused to cooperate with investigators, meaning there is a real difficulty in proving that a crime happened? Uh, it's not uncommon. One of the real difficulties of domestic violence is very often the alleged victim after time, says, oh, you know, I don't want charges to be pressed. Uh, I don't think they have kids, but a lot of times mom doesn't want to press charges against dad. Uh, a, a lot of times the couple stays together. and It's kind of hard to stay together as a couple if mom is testifying uh, against dad on the witness stand about domestic violence. So this is not uncommon. Texas has already fired him. Again, I would want to do the deep dive to figure out what the particulars are of this case uh, before I decided to make a choice in a college setting. I also think college versus pro factors in here because if you're on a college campus, you're dealing with 18, 19, 20-year-old boys and girls, you know, relatively young people, uh, as opposed to professional athletes uh, in a college, in a, in a professional sports setting which may be a, a substantially different environment. So um, I would bet that his career is not over, uh, but I would also bet that it's going to take a while for him to uh, sort of redeem himself. And it may require that he go to, uh, to a lower level as an assistant coach before he can come back as a head coach again. Clay, would you rather have Derek Carr or Ryan Tannehill as your quarterback? I mean, I think it's like saying, would you rather, uh, you know, bet heads or tails on, you know, a coin flip? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I think they're kind of equal probability guys. Um, I, if I were the Titans, I would move on from Ryan Tannehill if I could. I don't think personally that the Titans, for instance, are very close to winning a championship. So uh, I, I almost would rather go back in, just start to work on the rebuild. Um, as opposed to thinking, oh, if we, the, we change the quarterback, suddenly we're going to have a team that is going to have a lot more success. Whoever the quarterback is, nobody could block for him last year. The offensive line was a sieve. Uh, the wide receiver talent is maybe the worst in the NFL. 
So there are a lot of holes that have to be filled on the Titans, for instance. Uh, and I don't think there's that much difference between Tannehill and Carr. Um, and the same thing I would say is true, whether you're a Jets fan or if you were a Raiders fan or a 49ers fan or any team out there uh, that is looking around the Saints thinking, hey, we're in the quarterback market. I think there are three tiers in the NFL. There's like 10 or 12 teams that are like, we've got our stud. We think he can win us a Super Bowl. There's 10 or 12 that are like, ah, we don't have a stud, but he's not awful. So we're not going to fall completely apart. And then there's 10 or 12 that are like, we're desperately in need of a quarterback. I think the Titans are in that middle sphere. Um, and I think the Raiders were in that middle sphere. Um, so I think Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, very functionally equal, even quarterbacks, but both in that, like, Hey, we're probably not going to win a championship with either. If I were Derek Carr, the analogy that I would prefer is, Hey, he's Matthew Stafford, a guy who has balled out for a long time with the Raiders. That organization's just so dysfunctional. He couldn't win at a high level, but look what happens if he ends up in the right place. Matthew Stafford worked for a long time with the Detroit Lions and nothing worked. They couldn't even win a playoff game. And then suddenly he goes to the Rams and wins the Super Bowl first year there. Clay Travis has been our guest. Clay, by the way, the, the column at, at OutKick about the uh, the woman who calls Bumble to match her friend's sink. To, <laughs> I mean, it's haven't chores been done by guys dating girls for years? Look, hot girl privilege is a thing. And uh, every man who is listening to this has done innumerable, almost, I bet, things that he would never have done if the woman asking him to do it was not attractive. Right. Um, you know, no I was talking about this on my show the other day. I, I was talking about this on my show the other day. Uh, there are no calendar days that are designed just to praise men. Right. Like there's not one, not even really father's day, <laughs> but if you think about it, Valentine's day exists for women. Anniversaries of all stripes pretty much exist for women. Mother's Day rises up and dunks on Father's Day, <laughs> falls in the face style like Scotty <laughs> Pippen on Patrick Ewing back in the day. Like, there is no functional equivalent where women run around like, I hope I don't screw this day up because otherwise my relationship could be in tatters. <laughs> Men are constantly on the hook. There's guys listening to us right now that have been broken up with because they didn't take Valentine's Day or an anniversary seriously enough. So, uh, again, hot girl privilege is a thing. It's the most powerful privilege that exists in America today. Clay Travis, uh, always great. Enjoy the visit. Tough and, to argue uh, with those facts. Yeah, I, Tough I mean, to yeah. argue with them. They're $9 now is a Valentine's Day card, we learned. We found that out earlier. Yeah. Clay, thank you. Appreciate you all. Have a good day, boys. Yep. Same to you. Clay Travis joins us Wednesdays here on the show. He's got a practice to head to. That's right. I can sympathize with that. We, uh, well, you had one yesterday, right? Yeah, we tried out the uh, indoor facility close to my. Was house. it up to your? It was nice. It was. It was, nice. it was cool. Yeah. Good. We got to do. We got to mix in some like uh, little team races that the girls really love to break up any station work with. Hey, let's all get together and race now. We'll put you in groups of four That's and race. Fun times. Where uh, sports have have. To the level now of the, I mean, how old is this group? 
Well, this is uh, eight, six, seven, eight. Okay. Yeah, eight. That the you can now stage. go get an indoor practice facility. I mean, we just wouldn't have been able to practice if it was. Yeah, I mean, it's a hundred dollars to rent. You know, yeah. for an hour and a half, and there was a team after us. There was a team of probably 10, 11-year-old girls, I mean, I'd say, that came in at 7.30, 7.30 to 9. But none in your league that you saw. No. No, you're in it to It's win tough. It. Like, we, we do have a few 7.30 games on, like, Friday night. But 7.30 to 9 for uh, six, seven, eight-year-old girls, is a, that's a late night. It's a late night to be playing because you're not getting to bed till 10, 30, 11 at that point. Super Bowl ad has already paid off for one company. That's Max and Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Maybe some of you have seen the Netflix documentary on the, la- the last blockbuster. Um, this is now on my list of things to watch because the last blockbuster exists in Bend, Oregon. And they cashed in on a Super Bowl ad that they posted on social media during halftime of Super Bowl 57. And Chad, it worked. This ad that you're about to hear and, and listen to, sales went up 200%. Wow. Upon posting this ad. That's not bad. It worked. Here it is. When the world ends. And the internet streams no more. will still be here. It's a cockroach that's walking into the blockbuster. That's terrific. Uh, Very well done. And it's all shot in a very 1980s, early 90s way. The, The tent on the film. The end of the world. Is great. I thought it was going to be an ad for The Last of Us for the next episode at the, the start, and then it went there. It's crazy to me, though, that uh, I don't know who follows The Last Blockbuster on social media, but clearly a lot of people picked it up and retweeted it, reposted it, did something with it that got to that had an audience, yeah. whoever was picking it up, and then it, it grew that way. Pretty cool. And it's mainly it's just uh, merchandise and things like that that they're selling now. But You can do... Um, so I'm I'm pretty sure that I have seen this. You can actually Airbnb that place. You can stay really? in a blockbuster for the <laughs> night. The last one, they'll rent it out on the weekends where at like seven o'clock, you know, they'll sell things till five. Yeah, you go in at night and you can spend the night in a in a functional blockbuster if you'd like in Bend, Oregon. Chad, it's nineteen. 19- I think that's brilliant. It's nineteen ninety eight, and you walk into a blockbuster. What are you renting? Nineteen ninety eight. I'm just throwing out a late nineties option 
probably something about Mary. Okay, would be a blockbuster uh, purchase. The DVD version, obviously. You know, obviously they they graduated yes, DVDs at yes. one point, so I was going with that. Uh, yeah, maybe even you know Shawshank Redemption from a few years before. Yeah. Would be a nice, nice option. Mine, uh, so plenty of good movies from that that era. Titanic would have still been a big blockbuster hit in that time. I'm going straight to the video games, like the WWF Raw video yeah. game or the Nitro video games, or um, like the NBA Jam for Nintendo 64. That was big. If I was like at a buddy's house that yeah. had a nice gaming system, yeah. Hey, let's go to Blockbuster and get a game for the night. And then it's like, can we figure out the game in the short amount of hours we have before yeah. we pass out? And then you know, have to wake up the next day and your mom's going to have to drive us to go get it. Um, that was always fun. It was such an adventure back in the day that I just – kids today will never n- understand that, to actually get in the car, even in high school. You know, if we get in the car, drive to the movie store, drive to the Blockbuster, and go and pick out, look at all the covers, and, suck to and have pick to something it. out, and like know that this is our night. Just this trying is it. To, we're going to go here at 7 o'clock. We're going to go home. We're going to watch this. We're going to eat something, and then that's going to be it. But it was fun. It's a blast. Hey, uh, also, also fun is following Jim Mercer on Twitter. Um, this is either in reference, I'm guessing, to the number one overall pick, the Chicago Bears, but the Bears also just finalized the property at Arlington Heights. That's officially purchased now by Chicago. And at the, around the same time, Ursay tweets out, Uh, My relationship with the Chicago Bears goes back more than 60 years, and it's a photo of Jim Ursay riding a bear at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. Terrific picture. Every time we talk Jim Ursay, this should be the photo that's posted. Every time. And jokes about cocaine bear immediately uh, come out as well. See you tomorrow, Outkick 360. Apt.